This year, I am focused on saving and investing, but I still want to do things like travel. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side-by-side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending, which means you could end up with a free flight or maybe a better hotel room. So what could future you do with smarter financial decisions? Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Eating processed food for every meal isn't healthy for people or for dogs. We all know that. And kibble is subject to multiple rounds of high heat processing, making it an ultra processed food. The farmer's dog is real, fresh, healthy food with whole meat and veggies gently cooked in human-grade kitchens to preserve their nutritional value. My dog, Barnaby, loves the farmer's dogs. When he sees me pulling one of those packets out, he comes running. It's personalized, vet-developed, and it has recipes for as little as $2 a day. Meals arrive in pre-portion, ready-to-serve packs, and they're conveniently delivered on whatever schedule works for me. Get 50% off your first box of fresh, healthy food at thefarmersdog.com slash happier. That's 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash happier. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast about how to make our lives happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative. This week is a bonus episode to talk about the TV show Mad Men. I'm Gretchen Ribbon, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. Right now, I'm in my home office in New York City, talking to my sister who's in LA, the one who encouraged me to watch Mad Men for many, many years, Elizabeth Kraft. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And Gretch, I am so happy that you finally came on board <laughs> to the Mad Men train. Well, you know, I've been working on this for a while on, on our yearly list. I did this in 19 for 2019, rolled it over for 20 for 20, rolled it over for 21 for 21. But I got those 92 hours of television watching under my belt this year. And of course, I'm ecstatic because I love the show, as you told me that I would. So thank you. Yes. And thank you, because since you watched it all, I went back and watched a bunch of it again and just loved it even more than the first time. I think it's the kind of show that would be better the second time, in a way, because it's deeper. It's less suspenseful, but it's deeper. Yes. Okay. Now, before we launch in, we want to warn you of two things. We will have spoilers. Okay, this show came out many years ago. Uh, you know, if you want to go watch the show, go watch it, then come back and listen to this episode. So we will talk about things throughout the show. We may veer into racy territory because those folks on Mad Men did get up to a lot of mischief. Uh, if you were fine watching the show, you will be fine with whatever we talk about, I'm sure. Yes. And Elizabeth, one of the things that always struck me, like listening to the theme music, is you know you see on on the screen Dawn falling and everything falling around him. And right at the end of the theme music, it always sounds to me like the thumping of someone's heart. And that seems like you know Dawn beneath his like cool exterior was always on the verge of panic and isolation. And when I hear that bump, 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 
Um, it gives me that chill. See, what right now, already we have something interesting to talk about. I never interpreted that as Dawn falling. I just interpreted it as an ad man. Oh. Like, basically committing suicide because the business was so tough. Oh. So okay. interesting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So we can't even help ourselves. Okay. But before- You're probably right. It probably was Dawn, but I just, because I don't know it was about admin. I just always oh. thought it was someone had jumped. But it starts with him in his office, and then all the stuff starts to slide down the walls of his office. I guess I just never, I didn't ever interpret it as Dawn. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm sure right. you're right, Gretch. No, I don't know. Now I want to go back. Now I have to go back and watch <laughs> it. Okay. All right. Now, but before we launch in, we're going to be talking about a bunch of different characters. And if you're like us, it's easy to forget the names of characters, even though you can picture them in your mind. So here is a quick review of the names that we will be talking about. Don's family, Don Draper, the main character, Betty, his first wife, Sally and Bobby and Jean, their three children, Henry, Betty's second husband, Henry Francis, Megan, Dawn's second wife, and Anna Draper, who is the wife of the original, real, true Dawn Draper, who Dawn had a very, very special relationship with, Anna. Yes. And then some notable characters from the original agency, of course, Peggy, my favorite character. Yes. Joe. My favorite character. <laughs> she's like the secretary extraordinaire, yes. the, the real boss of the office, Gretchen's favorite character. Roger Sterling. Burt Cooper, he was the boss, uh, mm-hmm. Don's boss. Lane Price. Pete, he is a big character. Um, he does accounts, and he's married to Trudy, at least yep. for much of the show. Pete Campbell, yeah. Ken Cosgrove, Harry Crane, who I like, uh, Gretchen, because he takes over the TV department. Yeah, he does. Paul Kinsey and Freddie Rumson. I love Freddie because he's the one that first sees Peggy's potential. He's in the lipstick campaign. He's the one, and then... He gets kicked out later, and Peggy is the one who stands up for him. And that's a very, I think, a very beautiful moment of loyalty. In the new agency, Stan Rizzo, who is the one that ultimately we find out will end up with Peggy, Dawn, Dawn's secretary, Shirley, Peggy's secretary. If you remember the whole thing about the roses and how, how Betty thinks that she got the roses, but actually Shirley got the roses, that's very funny. Bob Benson, who's that sycophantic character, and Megan, of course, who ends up, he starts out as a, like a floating secretary, becomes Don's secretary, and then marries Don. And then some of the various women Don has had affairs with and their husbands, yeah. Jimmy and Bobby Barrett. Jimmy was a comedian. Yeah. Sylvia and Arnie Rosen, those were neighbors, and Rachel Menken, and she owned the department store. Yes, yeah. Now, Elizabeth, one of the things that's fun about the show that I appreciate now much more that I've watched it is you have a lot of like TV connections uh, in your own professional life to Mad Men. So what are some of those? Yes. Well, I have to say, Gretch, that Women's Murder Club, which was the first show Sarah and I created uh, based on a, a series of books by James Patterson. In 2007, we created the show and where we shot mm. Hollywood Center Studios, I believe it's called, is where Mad Men shot. Oh. And when we were there, they were shooting the first season. Oh, so you're kidding. It had kidding. not come out. And I just thought, when I, I thought the title was so clever. I was like, oh my yeah. God, that's a great title. 
And what's interesting is the offices that you see in Mad Men, he shot those in the offices. So like our offices were not exactly like that, but they were similar. Oh, because really? it, it was a very old building, <laughs> yeah. retro kind of building. And I'm sure they they did a lot to them. Right. But it's like when I see that, I'm like, oh, my God, it's like walking through my own office. Right. Oh, that's so funny. And so that is just fun. Well, it's funny because that's your first show. Yeah. And then your current show, Fantasy Island, is all about this theme of transformation and rebirth. And I kept thinking as I was watching Mad Men, it's so much about transformation, rebirth, people wanting to be reborn or remade. And so that's an interesting theme. Yeah. And then on The Fix, which was our oh, last show for ABC, um, we fix. had Michael Gladys, who played Paul Kinsey, one of the copywriters, yeah. as a big guest star um, in our second, our first and second episode of The Fix. So, of course, I had to resist the urge to just go grill him about Mad Men. <laughs> I did not, but I wanted uh, to. Ooh. And I found out that 783 Park Avenue is where Don lives. That's his groovy apartment with Megan. <laughs> and uh, that's right near me. So I walked by there. So that was fun. That is a groovy apartment. That's a groovy apartment. <laughs> oh, and the way her mother cleans it out. I assumed it was a mistake. She had just hadn't been paying attention to Megan. And so she had misinterpreted it. And then you find out that she was just like, my daughter deserves everything. Take it all. And just, <laughs> just decides to take all of Don's stuff. I thought that was funny. Okay, so listen, we have so many things we want to get into, but I ha I can't, I just simply cannot resist doing a lightning round of the things that I found interesting just to kind of like log them in the universe. The first is the clothes. Loved the clothes. Yes, and the specificity of time. Like you yes. can date it exactly. They often say what day it is. Yes, they say exactly what date it is. I love also that it jumps forward in time, like often between seasons, there'll be a big jump. And like you see Megan struggling and then she's on a soap. Or they're moved into their new offices. And I kind of like that you don't have to go through like every little thing. Also, here's a little thing that just delighted me because Joan is my favorite character. At the very end, when Joan is proposing to Peggy, hey, let's start a business together. And we need at least two of us because you have to have two names or it doesn't sound real. <laughs> okay, so then cut to, you see that she has a company called Holloway Harris. And at first... I thought that she had been forced to partner up with her own assistant just to have two names. But then I realized that she picked her maiden name and her married name, Joan Holloway, Joan Harris. So she's using both her names. Oh, biggest. I didn't get that. That's yes. very interesting. Right? No, because I wondered, who's the Harris? Yeah. Yes, she's, that's her married name. And I will also say, because Elizabeth, I know you and I are both huge fans of Game of Thrones, and we love Tyrion. And I do think it adds a lot to a show. I love it when people have the right thing to say. And having someone like Roger Sterling or Tyrion, who just is known for sort of saying funny things. I think it adds a lot to a show, just gives it a lot of shine. Absolutely. Okay. okay, bigger topics that I want to talk to you about, Elizabeth. Okay, one of the things that really struck me is the show really talks a lot about the power of beauty and attractiveness. And Dawn and Betty are able to get away with so much bad behavior and get so much from other people just because they're so good looking. And usually on TV, everybody just acts like these people are ordinary. But in this mm -hmm. show, it's widely acknowledged and often commented on just how good looking they are. And I thought it was interesting because it showed like, really, it was bad for them. I think it hurt their, their fates that they were able to get away with so much. It wasn't good for them. 
Oh, interesting. You know, another show that acknowledged that, Gretchen, ER always acknowledged how yes. good looking George Clooney is. Well, and it wasn't good for him either. No, right. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Well, there's this interesting Uh, moment where one of the new creative people, Mathis, says to Don, you have no character. You're just handsome. Mm. And he says, like, oh, you just get away with everything. But Sally, there's a moment when Sally says about her parents, like she's confronting Don, I think, in a train station or something. And he says, you're like that, too. Like, Mm. you're going to have to watch yourself. Although I will point out, I mean, Don had such an awful childhood that I'm sure that handsomeness did help him navigate through that. No, that's very true. Now, one of the things, because I'm obsessed with the four tendencies, of course, I was watching for the tendencies. And I don't think that it's a coincidence that my favorite (laughs) character, Joan, is an upholder like me. And here's the thing that I think is interesting. Don is a rebel. Mm. And there is no chemistry between Joan and... And Don, they're both famous sex pots. Right. They both have affairs in the office, but there's absolutely no chemistry between them, I don't think. And they never do get together. And so you think that's because their tendencies clash? Yeah, I think that they just they just don't connect because for mm-hmm. upholders and rebels, they're like opposite you know, personalities. And so I thought that was interesting. I think Betty has obliger rebellion. Mm. I think Price was an obliger. I couldn't figure out what Peggy was. She doesn't talk in a way that I could figure out what her tendency was. My, I would think she's a questioner. She strikes me as a questioner. But she doesn't seem, she doesn't articulate questions. She doesn't say things like, mm. well, why is it this way? Or why can't we do it a better way? I mean, she sort of questions it with her behavior. Interesting. But you don't see her doing that, I thought. Well, we know that she always comes when called. So maybe she's an obliger. Yeah, I, it's hard to tell. There's a lot going on with her. One thing also that struck me was the smoking and drinking. Oh, my Oh, my God. Yeah, and we actually asked mom, like, did people, we know they smoked and drank a lot, but, like, did they smoke and drink that much? Yes. And what did she say? She said they did. Well, she said, like, for the drinking, she said, like, yeah, like, a person might have a, a bar in their office, but they wouldn't be pouring drinks several times throughout the day. It was more like, oh, something big happened and we're celebrating, like, let's have a drink. So even now having a bar in your office seems unusual to me. But they would have drinks at lunch. They would have drinks sure. at lunch and they would have drinks after after work. People would stop and have drinks. And people smoked. I mean, it's hard to remember how people smoked on airplanes. In elevators. It, how do you, yeah, smoking in an elevator? It's just like, how do you even handle like the ashes? Just the logistics, all these people walking around with smoke, smoking. I was like, how does this even work? One interesting thing I noticed, Gretchen, is so Peggy, over the course of the series, starts drinking a lot more. Yes, she does. The way Don does. Yes. Like, even, not even the amount she's drinking, but but how she holds yeah. the glass and what the yeah. glass Ooh. is and what's oh. in the glass m- oh. very much takes on a Don sort of um, demeanor. Oh. Ooh, that's so true. And, you know, okay, we're going to talk about the the episode of The Suitcase later because that is, like, mm. a favorite among listeners. And I think it's widely acknowledged to be one of the top, maybe the top episode of, of the series. But there's a season, she walks into his office and she says, I think I just broke up with Mark or whatever his name was. And she pours herself a drink. And you're exactly right. The way she pours it, the way she drinks it, the way she puts the glass down is so like Dawn. Yes. And it's interesting uh, because when she has her first sort of big victory, 
they call her in there. She's still a secretary. They're like, Peggy, yeah. bring us yes. ice. And she's going to pour a drink. And she's like, how much ice? And they said, well, we don't know. How do you like it? And it giving her that drink yes. Yes. is like a huge milestone. Yes. Yes. Well, and when Roger throws up in the office. Oh, over the lobby. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we got to talk about that. Anyway. I want to get to that. That was an amazing scene. <laughs> But wait, here's the thing that I thought was so interesting. Elizabeth, I want your insight on this as a TV writer. Okay, as you're watching the first season, it feels like Don's hidden identity, the fact that he's not truly Don Draper, is going to be like the huge thing. It's like the giant, the secret that's going to destroy his life when it happens. And, and, and you're sort of dreading that. But then that's not what happens. Pete Campbell, who's his nemesis at that point, discovers it threatens him with it, blackmails him with it, marches into Burt Cooper's, and there's a big moment of confrontation. Let's listen to it, and then I want to hear what you think about it. I have to bring this up to you. Only because I believe that if I kept it from you, in the end it would be damaging to Sterling Cooper. It has come to my attention, completely by accident, that Donald Draper here is not who he says he is. His real name is Dick Whitman. But... Dick Whitman died in Korea 10 years ago. It stands to reason that he is a deserter at the very least, and who knows what else. Mr. Cooper, he's a fraud and a liar, a criminal even. Even if this were true, who cares? This country was built and run by men with worse stories than whatever you've imagined here. I'm not imagining anything. The Japanese have a saying, a man is whatever room he is in. And right now, Donald Draper is in this room. I assure you, there's more profit in forgetting this. I'd put your energy into bringing in accounts. Don, fire him if you want. But I'd keep an eye on him. One never knows how loyalty is born. I love this because, first of all, it gives you this amazing insight into Burt Cooper. And, and he's very prescient in that, that eventually Pete and Don become partners all over again and work together for many years. And that he's just willing to say, who, you know, who cares? Let yes. it go. And I love he takes all that. There's all that silence in between. And because you can see he's thinking like, okay, how am I going to handle this? What am I going to do? And he's like, I'm going to quash it right now. Right. And Don is like, how hard would it be to say nothing? He literally like takes a cigarette pack from his his breast jacket pocket and like lights a cigarette. You can hear the the lighter. He's just playing it. He's not saying anything, which is obviously extremely smart. So good. 
So, Elizabeth, what do you think about that decision for the show to set up something big and then take it away? So my take on this is I've not talked, I've met Matt Weiner, but I've briefly, but I've never talked to him about the show. But my right. take on this, he, that's yeah. the creator, Matt Weiner, yeah. is that he gave Don the false identity to sort of sell the show. Like, mm. here's this successful guy uh, who has another identity. Yeah. He's selling himself. Yeah. And it's kind of the hook or like the flashy the toy. Yes. Yeah. We always need like an engine and a hook. And then the show just was so good. He didn't need that hook anymore. Right. And it really didn't serve him to have that play out. Right. Like to have John fired yeah. and out of the ad business. And it just goes to show, like, I mean, who knows? Maybe from the beginning he planned it to go down yeah. that way. I seriously doubt it. I don't think you'd pitch it and say, and it's his fake identity. And then it comes out and no one cares. Yeah, right, right. Great it feels moment. like, wh why don't we just take out the whole thing? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But the way it plays out is just so brilliant. It's one of my absolute favorite moments of the show. And I just absolutely love it. And as a TV writer, I so appreciated that he was able to jettison yes. that device. That we could just let it go, not worry about it, and just get into these characters' lives. Right. And of course, it still matters because Betty doesn't know until later. It like, But then by the yeah. time Megan comes along, she knows, Pete knows, it comes up again. It's a problem, like with the, when, they, when he's trying to get the like, clearance. But it's not the central problem of the show. It is very revealing about Don and how Don doesn't yes. have a core identity and Don yes. doesn't feel like people know him. And yes. it, it resonates. Yes. But it, it, the plot part of it goes away. But the fact that's also so interesting is it's, it's unexpected and yet extremely predictable because it's like it seems extremely in character of Burt Cooper to be like, let's do whatever makes us the most money. And like, I don't care about whatever you've been up to. That seems absolutely in character of him, but deepens our knowledge of him. And Pete Campbell, he's a snaky guy and he yes. does a snaky thing. And he acts like, oh, I'm giving you this magnanimous opportunity to give me the job that I want to buy my silence. And it also reveals a lot about Don that he's like, okay, like, let's, let's go. Let's do this thing. Do it to my face and see what happens. What an interesting thing in the show, Gretch, is how money always trumps everything else. Yes. Um, like even Bert, you know, he's into, he seems like the sweetest guy and he walks yeah. around barefoot. And yeah, the kind of spirit, he, like he's interested he, in Japanese things. He's got modern art. Yes. But make no mistake, he's yeah. there for the <laughs> bottom line. Of course, Burt Cooper is also very racist, as yes. are, you know, many, many people in the show. Yeah. I think he's the most overtly racist. Yes. But there are there are many racist character, characters in the show. Coming up, we will discuss whether it's better to binge watch Mad Men or watch it once a week. But first, The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Elizabeth, I got the Flow Knit Wide Leg Pant. It's very light. It's perfect for the summer. It packs very easily. I recently went on a trip with my family, and I took it with me, and they were just the thing to wear on a really hot day where I wanted to be covered up, but I wanted something that looked great and also was very comfortable. 
And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com Gretchen for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Gretchen to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com Gretchen. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. And, you know, Elizabeth, I now work with a team and hiring the right people is so important. It's maybe the most important thing. And LinkedIn makes the process of identifying and hiring people easy and intuitive. I know that when I've been hiring for my team, it's hard to find quality candidates to interview. And LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, listen, I imagine that as a TV writer, you have a view about this because I binge this show. I would typically watch three episodes a night when I was watching. And by the way, that did cut into my sleep mm-hmm. and my reading time, but it was delightful. But I think it must have dramatically changed my experience of the show, watching it in such a, a shortened, intense amount of time versus over the weeks and then over the years between the seasons. How do you think that affects a person's experience of a TV show? Well, I think it cuts both ways. I think on the one hand, um, definitely episodes lose meaning like the particular episode because it all blends together yes, there's I've just ex- no yes. question about that and things go by so fast yes um on the other hand i do think being immersed in a show is such a great feeling and you really identify with the characters and almost mm. feel it's more like reading you know you can just yes. keep going and it's yes. like you're yes. in their world and you're living their life Yes. And you remember things like, oh, that's her boyfriend. Because sometimes when you watch <laughs> right. it, you're like, wait a minute, who who is that person again? And you miss some of the information. Yes. So I, I don't know. It goes both ways. I mm. love binging. Like when a transparent season would come out, mm-hmm. yeah. I would just sit in bed and watch 10 episodes straight. Really? Just, yes. That's only half an hour. But I I am just the person that cannot get enough. But do people write television differently knowing that people might binge it or or, yes. or might definitely binge it? You do. How so? Well, yes. Like, for instance, if a show is on streaming yeah. at any point, whether it started there or not, it's set up so that the next one starts. Yes. And what they want to do is have a moment, the last moment of the show, be something 
that you just can't help but go to the next episode, have the next episode But wasn't episode that always start. true? This always like end on a cliffhanger or not so much? It was always true that it was good to end on a cliffhanger, but it's been taken to a whole new level now. Mm. The need for that. And then also mm-hmm. that something be bingeable. In other words, you're trying to create something that has like urgency and propulsion and that's going to make people want to just keep going. Mm. Like a think piece is not so welcome. You've got to always be thinking, how are they going to click? Well, one thing that surprised me is because I knew that Mad Men was very emotionally intense and often like very, like very upsetting in ways that I thought maybe I wouldn't be able to binge it because it might be too overwhelming. Mm. I can kind of get emotionally overwhelmed by things and not take it. But I think you're right. Once I got immersed in the characters, my desire to stay with the story overwhelmed if there was like, like intense sadness or indignation or like some kind of unjust situation or whatever kind of overcame it. Oh, here's a side note. I've noticed this about a lot of shows. They'll have a title of an episode like The Suitcase, but you never see it on the screen. It's only like if you're looking it up. Why don't they show it on the screen? I don't know. I've always wondered that, too. That's always been the case as long as I've been in television, Um, which the nice thing about it is nobody ever gives you notes on the title because it's It's like the one thing that's safe. (laughs) It is. It's so if I've never gotten a note on a title, like I'll be like, are people going to like this title? Never gotten a note on a title. Well, the only title, the titles for Friends, I thought was funny because they were very much like the way people talk about it. It's like the one where Joey breaks up with his girlfriend or whatever. Like that was literally the title of the show. Yes. Every episode. Yeah. Yeah. Every episode was titled that way. So, okay. Here's something, Elizabeth. As the show went on, I wanted Dawn to be punished Mm. at some point. I wanted there to be some reckoning for all his misdeeds. But oddly, the one time that he was truly punished was when in the Hershey's meeting where he talked openly about his upbringing and how the candy bar was the sweetest thing in his life and like there were massive consequences to that. So I thought that was interesting because it was the truth that that hurt him like that, whereas you would have thought like in the way the truth should have been kind of redemptive. Yes. And then sometimes the, learning the truth, like revealing his true identity and stuff was also often redemptive. But that moment of truth, I, he, he wasn't in control of it, too. Yes. He, it's like he lost the Don Draper he mask. Yes. And everyone yes. was like, oh, what is yeah. underneath that? Yes. Like, yes. I'm yeah. not comfortable. <laughs> yeah. No, and somebody actually says, said to him, is that true? So clearly they're like, is this some kind of deep game that we are not understanding? Wasn't that also when his alcoholism was really yes, yes. taking Take, over his life? Yes. And I think you were supposed to see that as an, as an indication of the fact that it was truly out of his control at that yes. point. Yeah. And Gretchen, the other time he told the truth and had major uh, consequences is when he, he wrote the um, piece about not wanting to advertise cigarettes anymore. Yes. And he like told it, the yeah. truth about how bad cigarettes are. And it, um, although it got him a lot of sort of fame and acclaim, it hurt his career. Yes. And in the end, he tried, I think he offered to take it back at one point. He was like, <laughs> if, if he needed to. So that was kind of short lived. Now, here's something, Elizabeth, that really struck me. Okay. I would say that one of the themes of the show is isolation and how people have so much trouble connecting and they're all kind of locked inside their own experience. But at the same time, and maybe this is what one of the reasons the show is so compelling, there's such a strong theme of who really knows whom, who knows somebody else. Okay, so here are the people where we are explicitly told 
These people have a special connection. These people know each other. Okay, so of course, Peggy and Dawn know each other. And that's acknowledged several times. They truly know each other. Peggy and Pete know each other. And there's, there's literally that scene where he says to Peggy about his wife, Trudy doesn't know me, but you do. And I know you. And she says, yes, Betty and Dawn know each other after the divorce, after all his secrets come out. You do have the feeling like that whenever they are like post-divorce connecting with each other, they really do know each other. Mm-hmm. Sally and Dawn really know each other. There's several moments where it's like, ooh, you're like, ooh, Sally's got his number. And, and he sort of has her number. Roger and Joan know each other. Glenn and Betty know each other. Glenn is that neighbor child that lives down the street and they know each other in some kind of way where you're like, I don't even understand what's going on with that. And then Dawn and Anna know each other because, of course, Anna is the sort of otherworldly character who's in his life. And the title of the finale, Elizabeth, is person to person. Mm. And I think it is this idea of there are people who know each other. Yes, One thing you'll notice about this, Gretchen, is none of these people are married to each other. (gasps) That's so true. And I think that's because, well, I mean, it's people have different opinions on this, but many believe like you can't show your whole self to a spouse because you just need a certain amount of, I don't want to say secrets, but like you can't say everything or else it'll just create too much conflict. Like you have to kind of hide some of yourself in order to coexist peacefully. Well, to have sort of a private reserve to yourself. Yes. Well, that's interesting because if one of the questions is, why don't Joan and Don have chemistry? Why don't Roger and Joan get married? Right. Because they know each other. They have this connection. They turn to each other for solace. They depend on each other. They respect each other. They enjoy each other. And it never comes up that they, he, uh, Roger gets married a couple times. Yeah. So he's not married at certain points. And yet they never get married. That's so interesting. But speaking of people getting together and not getting together, I am so glad that Peggy and Dawn never have an intimate connection because I feel like in this world, there are many, many kinds of love. They all don't have to be consummated. Mm -hmm. This is the way I wish that in Game of Thrones, I wish Brienne and Jamie had never been romantically involved. To me, they had a different kind of love, a different kind of deep connection that did not have to become romantic. And there's these moments of just like, deep, deep connection. But you're right, because they're not romantically involved, in a way they can be deeper. Yes. Because they don't need to hold certain things back. It lets them have a different kind of closeness. Yes. And and I was glad that that just felt like, oh my gosh, he's sleeping with everybody else. Is he eventually going to... And there's moments where you're like, okay, this is it. Yeah. They're drunk. They're hanging out at a bar. They're like in his office. And it doesn't happen. And it's such a relief to me. Yeah, well, and it's also like Don doesn't need to sleep with Peggy because he connects to her just, again, person to person. Yeah. Whereas in many ways, that's how he connects to people. So he just doesn't even need to do that with Peggy Yeah. or Joan. But it's funny, you mentioned something earlier, and I think this is a funny, like how people know each other. One of the ways they know each other is they know exactly how to punish each other. Mm. And that's like when Don tricked Roger into eating those oysters and drinking, and he tipped the, uh, the, the, the elevator man to put the out-of-order sign on so that Roger had to climb all those stairs. And so I forget even what wrong yeah, he was doing, I don't remember. what disrespect he was showing to Don. 
So he completely lost it and threw up right in the lobby in front of all these clients. And, you know, and, and just Don set that up. You could see him challenging Roger, like, you can eat these oysters. You're going to have another plate, too, and have another drink. You're going to have another drink. He knew exactly how to push his buttons. Yes, that's one of my favorite episodes as well. Yeah. And there are moments like this throughout, Gretchen. There's Bob Benson when he was the new guy. Um, he trapped Pete into driving when he knew Pete couldn't use the stick shift. <laughs> it was like humiliating him in front of all the car guys. Peggy's sister telling the priest about uh, what Peggy did to change the nature of their relationship. Yeah, she didn't like that the priest had so much respect for, for Peggy. Yes. So I think she did that maliciously. And then there was that amazing moment when Peggy, like Stan keeps teasing her and disrespecting her. And she's like, let's do it. Let's play. Let's strip down right now, right here in this office. And he, and he, you know, bring it on. And he gives up finally as they're like stripping down and then they end up together. So it's sort of sweet. That is sweet. I wonder if they always were planned to be together, if that came about later. You never know. know what's in the works from I, day one and what comes out at the end. I was surprised by that. I was surprised, but then when you look back, they're always there for each other. And again, yeah. they're always very honest with each other. And it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. One of the things I thought was interesting, too, is that every once in a while in this show, which is kind of hyper-realistic and, like, they do mention these dates. And there's all these trends that we know are accurate. And there's all this effort to have accurate typewriters and labels and all this. Like, we know that it's very kind of hyper-real in that way. There are these elements of the supernatural that mm. come in. And they're kind of presented as not like dream sequences. They're, I think they're meant to be seen as kind of supernatural. Yeah, Gretchen, like when Burt Cooper appears to sing and dance to Don. Yeah, it's like, what's that about? Or in the, again, this, the, the episode, The Suitcase, Don's asleep. He wakes up. He hears footsteps in the hallway. Anna appears like a ghostly Anna holding a suitcase. Mm -hmm. And she looks at him lovingly. And then vanishes, and then he finds out that that's when she died. And then later, like, there's this whole theme, which, looking back, you see, okay, Rachel, she appears, and that is a dream, but it's a, it seems like a, a supernatural dream in mm -hmm. a way, because she appears right when, she, when she's dead. He doesn't know that she's dead, but she's just died of leukemia. And she says to him, I, this gives me chills, I'm supposed to tell you you missed your flight. It's not even you missed your flight. It's I'm supposed to tell you you missed your flight. That's what to me makes it so supernatural. And do you remember when he's in the giant meeting with McCann and his like, you can see that his soul is being crushed and he eventually like leaves the meeting and runs away. He looks out the window and he sees a plane flying across the sky. Oh, and you think, that is that the flight? Oh, Wow. But this made me think of something. For, I love the work of Muriel Spark, and she wrote this because there's often supernatural in her, in her stories. She says, Some of my work can be described as gothic because it deals with the supernatural. I have often found that the supernatural is a good factor for intensifying the vision of a story. It gives an extra dimension. It also helps to increase the element of suspense by which the reader is induced to turn the pages. That's from an essay she wrote called Pensée, the Supernatural. So, Elizabeth, your point about the need for keeping the viewer engaged, it does add an extra dimension. I think it does add an element of suspense. Yeah, I do love those moments. I love those moments. Coming up, we'll talk about my favorite moment of TV ever. But first, this break.
Gretch, I love eating sandwiches like a grilled cheese or a peanut butter sandwich is my ideal lunch, but I'm very aware of my carb intake, so oftentimes I avoid sandwiches. Luckily, Hero Bread has remade carby, empty-calorie bread products into fluffy, delicious versions that include no-net carbs, zero grams of sugar, and fewer calories. Plus, it has protein and fiber. I have been using it to make grilled cheeses, and I use their tortillas to make a cheese quesadilla, and I am in heaven. Hero Bread tastes great, has a terrific texture, and helps you meet your nutrition goals. Don't give up being a breadhead. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use happier at checkout. That's happier at H-E-R-O dot C-O. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small, and when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Gretchen, when I started my career, therapy really helped me work through all of my stresses so that I was able to concentrate at work and do a good job. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Gretchen Rubin today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Gretchen Rubin. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Okay, Elizabeth, we're going to talk about the finale, but before we do, there's just a few more things that I cannot resist talking about. Hmm. One is, I cannot remember another show, can you, where where a major theme of the show is like how the changing era, the changing times change people. And here you see it with the fashion, you see it with the morals, you see civil rights, you see gay rights, you see women's rights, you see technology changing, you see how their profession is changing. And it's very explicit. And I thought it was interesting that they they really highlighted those changes. Yeah, and they'll talk about who the president is and what's yes. happening and going to the moon and, yes, yeah. the changing world around them. And you'll see, you know, at first it's all white men. Yes. And it's still mostly white men at the end. 
Yeah. But it changes just a little bit and you see that it's going a different direction. Well, and you also see like when they're when they're at their agency, it's better. And then they go into the big agency, McCann, and it, you see like, oh, my gosh, it's so much worse. Yes. Like Shirley, Peggy's secretary, who's black, leaves. Joan is driven out. You see how they had created this one atmosphere within the time. And then you're like, OK, but everything hasn't changed. Yes. Okay, another thing I just, this was interesting to me, was Betty and her explosive temper. Mm. As somebody who can kind of snap, (laughs) I was very much like, okay, see how bad this is. See how how everybody flinches at this. She snaps at Sally. Sally's in her bed. Betty comes in to give her a letter about her imminent death and what kind of funeral she wants. And it should be this tender moment. And Betty's just like, come on. (laughs) She just like snaps. And then there's that sad moment where they're with Megan at Disneyland or whatever, and Bobby knocks over his milkshake, and the children are, like, shaken. And Megan's like, it's not a big deal, but I just don't have another clean dress, so be careful. Or when Betty marries Henry Francis, and they're with his mother, and she's like, these children are scared of their mother. Mm. And you're like, Betty's scary. Yeah. She's mean. Betty is, well, Betty is scary. I couldn't decide what I thought of Betty. I know. I feel like she's such an elusive character, but shows how Dawn-centric the show is. Yeah. And also how work-centric. Like, anybody who's not part of the office, like, ultimately is just sort of floating around. Yes. That's what happens to Megan. Yeah. Yes. When she's not part of the office, she kind of loses her her gravity. Here's a side note. Do you think, even talking about it, even with you just, like, right this second— Betty and Peggy, do you think it's deliberate that their names are so similar? Because I'm like, it's so hard to keep them apart. Mm. They're the two women, the two mm-hmm. main women in Don's life, arguably. And their names are like so easy to confuse. Could be. It's like Tyrion and Tywin. I'm yes. like, come on, George R. R. Martin. <laughs> or Sa- what is it? Saruman and I can't remember in The Fellowship of the Ring. The two characters have almost the identical name in it. It's just, I'm like, come on, let's just like make it easy on your audience. I mean, I think Betty really says how, I mean, it was not a great time for women. I mean, she was really stuck at home. She didn't have a lot of say in the marriage. Dawn was in complete control. And um, she kind of acted out, like you said, Obliger Rebellion. Yeah, because she gets to a point where she's like, it's just too much. I'm not going to keep going. With shooting the pigeon. Oh, um, okay. We'll get to that. Okay. Okay. We have to talk about the finale. Elizabeth. Why is this your all-time favorite moment of television? Describe the first time you saw this TV. Because I was so moved by this, of course, that years and years went by, and I'm like, I will watch Mad Men so that I can experience what Elizabeth experienced. So, Well, I should explain what happens at the end, right? So Don has completely gone off the rails. He is on this cross-country trip, just drinking, and he's a mess. He even sells his car, so he's taking buses. Or he yeah. gives his car away to some, like, kid who's kind yeah. of at the end of his road. So he's like, take my car. <laughs> and he always, like, takes a bus. Yeah, and it's actually a lot of the episode. I mean, it's a good episode, but I wouldn't say it's one of my favorite until the end. Yes. So Don ends up at a hippie retreat, which is basically Esalon. Yeah. At first, he's like, what the hell is this? He doesn't want to be there. He thinks it's stupid. But eventually he gets into it and he gets into the sort of group therapy and doing yoga. And the episode and the series ends with Don doing yoga. And we've seen in the episode, he's called Peggy. Mm -hmm. 
who's begging him to come home. And she's like, you have to come home. Like, don't you want to work on the Coke campaign? Yeah. Because it's the biggest thing they've got in the Coke yes. campaign. Nothing could and be And it's bigger. been dangled in front of him numerous times by the McCann team. Yes. But Don's just over the whole thing. And he's actually thinking we think about committing suicide at that moment. Although then he, again, gets into the retreat and, and starts healing. And he's doing yoga and... Suddenly, he just smiles. You know, he's in the lotus position, yes. like in this okay. group of people on a on a hilltop. Yes, the ocean behind them, and he just smiles. And you're like, mm. why is he smiling? And there's that chime. Yes, it's like there's like a a meditation chime. And then it cuts to the actual Coke commercial. I want to teach the world to sing. I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle doves. I'd like to teach the world to sing. Sing with me. Gretchen, when you're watching it, you see like, oh, the girls in the ad have braids and they have ribbons in their braids. And one of the girls at the retreat has ribbons in her braid. And you get like, oh, my God, everything Dawn has been through has led to the moment of him having the idea (laughs) for this Coke ad, which will be the biggest ad in history. Iconic, beyond iconic. And what I loved about it is you saw how everything was going to play out. Like, you knew he was going to hire Joan to produce the ad. Because now Joan's a producer. And you knew it was going to make Peggy's career. Yeah. You know, and you just knew that at the end of the day, like Don is an ad man. Yes. I just I love the embracing of the career and that yeah. whatever else it is, it's he's an ad man and that's what he does. And then in the ad, in the song, it says Coke is the real thing. Yeah. And all Don has been searching for this whole time yes. is the real thing. Yes. And he even says to Peggy earlier about why she's good at what she does is that she understands, like him, that people are missing things and that, like, that's sort of the key to advertising. Like, what are we missing in our lives? Oh, I didn't even think of that. And he sees that all the young people around him are yearning for this. They keep telling him that. For years leading up to it, you have different people saying to Don, we're rejecting your values. We don't want you want. We want what's real. We want what's authentic. We're rejecting your your marketplace values. Okay, here. But here's my question for you, Elizabeth. You could interpret this cynically and say he tries to escape himself. He tries to go on the search for enlightenment. But in the end, all it does is turn into a crass ad that, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really good. Yes. But it's just an ad. And so he can't outrun himself. He can't transcend himself. Or you can say... Everything that he has experienced, he has poured into his art form, which is advertising, which we really do believe that he is extremely gifted at this form of communication, and that he's able to transmute all of his suffering, all of his impressions, the girl with the braids, the encounters with the annoying ad team, and turn it into this thing that is iconic and is lasting. Because remember, Peggy says, I want to create something lasting. And he says, in advertising, hot. And he scoffs at that idea. 
But when we see this ad, we know that it is that. So do you see it like transcendent or cynical or both? Uh, both. Yeah. Right. Both. Okay. Why? Why? It's just both are true. And like more than one thing can be true at the same time. Yes. I mean, I don't know, Gretch. What do you think? I think you're right. I think it's both. And I think that's part of the reason that it's so powerful is because it doesn't resolve in your mind. It's not neat. Also, it's very understated in that you don't even see, he doesn't even like visibly like have a start of recognition. It's not like there's a giant light bulb. It's just he smiles and it's just the cut to and there's no explanation and then it just ends. Yeah. And so it's very understated and yet it's very overt at the same time. So I think that is part of what's so satisfying. And by the way, my understanding is that they spent years getting permission, I think, to Mm. use that ad as if it was Don's. Well, it's very cool because there are several points where actual advertising campaigns are presented as if Don had created them or had been involved in them. And it's interesting, though, because this ad, I feel like, is sort of in living memory, even for people who didn't live through it being on TV, because it's rebooted and used and it is so iconic. But I wonder how they how this show will read when people have no, when they don't recognize it in mm. any way. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Even without context, I think you would get what yes. happened, right? Because even yes. you, you would still see that he went on and used all of this to create yes. this ad. And it is like a song. It is like, it is special. I think it is a special ad. Yes. And you get that. Yeah. What did you think of the roundup? There's kind of a Victorian novel style. Peggy gets together with Dan and Pete gets back together with Trudy and they move to the Midwest where there's better values. And Roger ends up with Marie. And Betty has lung cancer. (laughs) So poor Betty. (laughs) Yeah. And then do we know? I don't think we, Megan just kind of like vanishes. Um, She's like off in Hollywood doing something. What did you think about those? I'm just going to tie up those things. It's kind of like Harry Potter. You know, some people liked it. Some people didn't. I like it. What did, what did you think? I loved it. Um, yes, I especially loved it in conjunction with the ad because I felt like having all that set up, like Joan having our company yeah. and then being able to sort of forecast what happened. Yeah. I love that. And I, I mean, I wanted people to, I don't know, get somewhere. Yes, yes. Yes, because we want them we want them to be happier. Yes, but you know what the <laughs> ultimate example of that, Gretchen? I don't know if Ooh. you watch Six Feet Under. No. But so Six Feet Under is a show about a family who owns a uh, a funeral home. And every episode begins with a client, I guess you would say, dying, right? So there's ah. a death at the teaser of every episode. How they ended the series, which was brilliant, was you saw the death of every member of the family. Oh, my gosh. So you saw how old they were, what happened, and it was a real ending. I love it when the ending is like, you can only understand the ending if you've been along for the whole show. The whole show is driving towards a certain point. Yes, endings are so hard. They are. And by the way, Gretch, I st- I want a show about the L.A. years. I want, oh, yeah. <laughs> I want Don and Joan and Peggy. I want everyone to move to L.A. And I want to see the 70s yes. in Los Angeles. And, oh, my God, I would just give anything for that show. Yeah, yeah, you and me both. Okay, favorite scenes. One of my favorite scenes, and I, I love this scene because it's an example of how often the show is so subtle. And this is why now, of course, I want to rewatch all 92 hours so I can see everything again. So it's this very small moment. 
So the f- people have split away from the firm. They've quit. Or no, Price has fired them all in that like crazy scene. And they're, they've spent the weekend frantically stealing all the client material from the original agency. And now they're in a hotel room. They're all in one hotel room. Joan is standing there like directing traffic. You can hear Pete talking to a client, reassuring them that they'll still serve the client. Dawn is typing away, doing whatever. Everyone is crammed in there. And then the door opens. Trudy, Pete's wife, walks in and surprises them. Let's hear that scene. Everything's exactly the same. Dawn and I will both be on the account. Thanks, Bill. Okay, bye-bye. Hello, everybody. Lovely. What are you doing here? I brought lunch. There's every kind of sandwich imaginable and a cake. Thank you, Trudy. Isn't this exciting? It is. What I love about that is I love the way Trudy says, isn't this exciting? (laughs) And you feel that she's so happy and she's so excited for them and she's so on board with this gigantic risk that Pete has taken with his career. And when she says that, they move to Dawn's face and you see Dawn feeling like, you know, Betty isn't part of this. Mm -hmm. And then he immediately leaves the room. And I just thought that was one of these subtle moments where it tells you about Trudy. It tells you about Dawn. It captures this moment of excitement, and it just comes and goes. I hardly yes. noticed it, and then I was haunted by it. Gretch, one of my favorite scenes is um, Peggy's angry at Don because she wants him to thank her for her work on an ad campaign. And Don won a big advertising award at Clio for it, but it was her original idea. That's the way it works. There are no credits on commercials. But you got the Clio. It's your job. I give you money, you give me ideas. And you never say thank you. That's what the money is for. And Gretchen, this is a big thing in television because all everyone, anyone does is sit around and pitch ideas. And there's a lot of talk about whose idea was it and did I get credit for my idea? And mm-hmm. Did I pitch something? And then two minutes later, someone else pitched it and it landed. But when I pitched it, it didn't yeah. land. Yeah. And like when you're hired as a writer, It's all about giving ideas to the person who's running the show, and you just kind of have to eat that. So it was just, (laughs) I really responded to that scene. Yeah, that's what the money's for. Okay, so listeners' favorite scenes. Oh, but I will say, several people wrote to tell me about a fantastic site called Tom and Lorenzo Mad Style, and I'm so sad that I did not know about this site as I was watching because I would have loved to have like read their posts alongside each episode because it's really wonderful. So I'll post a link to that site in the show notes because it's really, really fun. So listener favorite scenes. And Elizabeth, don't you think that it was so interesting that there was so much agreement among mm. listeners? Like people mentioned the same episodes mm-hmm. over and over. So th- this was really a thing where people really saw the standouts. The same. Yes. So as we mentioned, Betty shooting the neighbor's pigeon. Yes. After he threatens her children's dog. That yes. was a big moment. Yes. Now, in, in the scene that you just talked about is your favorite scene. That is within an episode that many people mentioned as their favorite episode, which is called The Suitcase. That's season four, episode seven, where it's an, it's an incredibly intense encounter between Don and Peggy. And I I actually looked it up and Elizabeth Moss, who plays Peggy, said of the episode, it's the greatest material I've ever had the privilege of acting. And John Hamm, who plays Don, of course, said, I've never, ever worked on something and felt the way I felt after we shot the episode in season four called The Suitcase. 
That one, I can't even put it into words. Wow. I get chills just hearing that. I love that episode. For me, there's a moment where, and I'll post, I took a picture of it. I went back and watched this episode again because everybody was talking about it. And I knew you rewatched it. There's a moment where they've had this intense encounter. Peggy's really been there for Dawn and they aren't talking about it at all. They've moved on and he just puts his hand over her hand and they look at each other. And it is such a moment of profound, wordless connection. It just it was. It was just yeah. unforgettable. So Beautiful. I took a picture of it. I will post it in the show notes. Oh, good. Everyone loved when the UK executive who came in, <laughs> um, who's really obnoxious, gets his foot cut off by a riding lawnmower during the office party. That, the spray of blood. Oh, my gosh. And the kind of deus ex machina. It's like, how do they get themselves out of this pickle? Well, they they cut off the foot. Of the ex- because, they, because they literally say, like, everything falls apart now. Like, every plan we've made has to be rethought. But And how do you have that happen? How do you get a riding lawnmower, <laughs> believably, into a midtown office building? So great. And what's great is when you first see the lawnmower, it doesn't seem threatening at all. No. And then it makes no, perfect sense when it happens. Like, of course, yeah. it's really dangerous to be riding a lawnmower around people. And the secretary who is driving it is never seen again, too, which I think is yes. like, no, she would not be. <laughs> Several people commented, like, in terms of, like, changing cultural norms, which we we, we mentioned was when Don and his family go for a picnic in the park and then they just get up and walk away <laughs> leaving all their trash. And people are like, it's just so shocking. Somebody said that they were watching with four people in a room and everybody audibly gasped. Oh, wow. Uh, but they went back to their car. So that was funny. And then, Gretch, we have to end with one of the all-time great moments of Don's carousel pitch when he shows photos from his own past. I think this is probably one of the most defining moments of the whole show. Well, I think it goes to the fact of how he's truly gifted, that he truly is remarkable and and is able to go to a different place and you feel it yourself. You see his mastery because everybody's always talking about how great he is and you're like, yeah, that's just kind of like a conceit of the show. But in this, you feel why they respect him so much. Yeah, to me, this is the bookend. This and the Coke ad are the two bookends of the show. So for the carousel pitch, what has happened is the company has come in. They have this wheel that allows you to show slides. They're very excited about this wheel, about this new technology. So they want Don to think of a campaign that will get everyone all excited about it. And as Don speaks, he's showing slides. And you can hear the click of the slides as he's flashing through them. And what he's showing is pictures from his own past. So you see him with his children fairly grown. You see him with his children just born. You see him putting his head on Betty's big pregnant stomach. You see them kissing at New Year's Eve. And so you see time going backwards and forwards as he's clicking through the photos from his own life. Teddy told me that in Greek, nostalgia literally means the pain from an old wound. It's a twinge in your heart, far more powerful than memory alone. This device isn't a spaceship. It's a time machine. It goes backwards and forwards. It takes us to a place where we ache to go again. 
It's not called the wheel. It's called the carousel. Let's just travel the way a child travels. Around and around, and back home again. To a place where we know we are loved. Good luck at your next meeting. You see that everyone in the room is just staggered by this. And Harry Crane actually rushes out of the room, visibly moved and about to start to weep. So incredibly powerful. Yeah. And Gretchen, again, one of the most brilliant things about it is that it's both the true story of like Don's love for his family. And also it's all a lie because a lot of what he lives is a lie. So again, two things are true at once. It's the ambiguity of this is the story he's showing, but what is the true story? What does he really feel? I mean, it's so powerful. Well, Gretchen, thank you for finally indulging me in those 92 hours of television. No, and thank you because I knew that I would love it. I knew that it would be emotionally draining, I thought, but it was actually so exhilarating that I didn't find it draining. And I loved it. And now my big problem is I want to just watch it again. Because I, I like, you're not a big rewatcher or rereader, but I'm a big rereader and a big rewatcher. But it is 92 hours of TV. So that's opportunity cost, as it's, we say in the law. It's a lot. Yeah. And now, like, you made that little side reference to Six Feet Under it. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, is that on 22 for 22? Mm, <laughs> it's a good one. Mad Men just shows like how great TV can be and how it can impact us and make us think. And I love TV. I love TV and I love Mad Men. So thank you everyone for joining us on this Mad Men extravaganza. If you haven't watched Mad Men yet, you should. (laughs) It's really, really good. And that's it for this bonus episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. If you haven't watched Mad Men yet, give it a shot. You'll love it. (laughs) Let us know what you think and, and keep telling us what your favorite scenes are. We get so much fun just talking about them ourselves. Thank you to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, and everybody at Cadence 13. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at Liz Craft, and Gretchen is at Gretchen Rubin. If you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend. And if you have a friend who doesn't listen to podcasts, but who is a huge fan of Mad Men, please tell them about this bonus episode. Maybe they will enjoy it. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Craft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward. Oh, Gretch, here's a little moment that a lot of people loved. Hold that. How are you? Not great, Bob. (laughs) That's Pete Campbell to Bob Benson. (laughs) Classic.